following is a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel, Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. You're great. You're amazing. You're worthy of praise. And Lord, when we come together like this, our expectation is that you show up. And we know that's true that you do. Uh, but also, we want to hear from you. Lord, that we, we got up this morning, uh, thought we'll come to this place, we'll gather together with a bunch of people. But ultimately, how awesome it is that we believe that you can speak to us through your word and by your spirit. And so, Lord, if there's anything that happens from today, it would be the greatest thing to, to walk out of here with a word from you for us. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray this morning that over all of us and all over this weekend that people would walk out and think, that, that was for me. That, that was for me. And so, Lord, do that work in this place this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, when I was growing up, played a little uh, high school basketball. And after my freshman season, uh, I had a coach uh, who actually sent me a letter. And in the letter were things that he said you could work on in your game. It was complimentary. And then it you know, got to the part where like, and also uh, work on this. And I'm sure he did it with all the different, all the players with the hopes that we would put into practice the things that he gave us. And so here is that letter. My actually, uh, last week, I don't know if you were here last week, but we talked about uh, application of God's word. We talked about how Paul was like this spiritual mentor or coach for the church of Colossae. And, and he actually gives them like, practice this, actually do these things. And this week, my mom sent me this letter uh, from, you can see it up there. You can't see it very well, but it's February 19th, 1991. Uh, so I was a freshman in 1990. This was at the end of the basketball season, so it would have been 1991. Uh, so it looks like he typed it out like with a typewriter. I'm sure he didn't, but it was like, you know, back in the 90s, you're, you know. Anyways, uh, here's what he said. He, he said, Jeff, here's what I want you to do. Grab a basketball three times a week. Uh, work on ball handling left and right-handed. Work on these drills, speed drills, stop and go, driving layups, both on the left and the right-hand side of the basket. On your shot, remember not to float. And funny, I, I play basketball uh, on, on Tuesdays with a group of guys, and I still do this. I, I still find myself like shooting, and then when I shoot, I kind of float to one direction or the other, and my shot is much better if I just go straight up and down. And so he says, be careful, you tend to float. Um, and he said this, uh, you can be too flat on your shot. Work on getting an arc on it. And so it was this great letter that I got from this coach. And his expectation was uh, that I would go and put these things into practice, that I'd actually work these things out, that I would do them. And in much the same way as we talked about last week, and we move on kind of in this week, Paul is saying, I'm giving you this information, not that just you would just study it and you would put it in your brain, but actually, I want you to practice these things. These are, these are applicable things for your life. I want you to apply these things to your life. And, and as a pastor this morning, as someone who's teaching, I'm saying, yeah, these are great. This is great information, right? But if we never put it, apply it into our lives, then, then it just becomes a letter that a coach sent us. And it was great in, in memory but we never applied it. And, and so what he, I would say is let's get out and dribble the basketball this week. Let's study this material that, that's God's word, and then let's go apply it into our lives 
this week. And so over this week and next week, he's going to give us more application to his word. Now, if you remember, last week we talked about this. We won't go in depth into it. But he said, listen, if you're going to apply this stuff to your life, if you're going to apply the word of God to your life, it's going to be pretty important that you understand who you're applying it for. That, that you, it's very important that you understand who Jesus is if you're going to apply his word to your life. If Jesus is just a prophet or a good teacher or just a really nice guy who walked around on the face of the earth, then why are we even here, right? Why, why apply all this material to our lives if Jesus is just a teacher, prophet, good guy? So Paul says you have to know that he's more than that. You have to believe that he's more than that. So he says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, I won't go into it in depth, but look at number one on this. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Stop. Pause. Think about that. The creator of all things made himself available to you and I, known to you and I through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God with all his characteristics, with his righteousness and his holiness. He says, and this should just be enough, right? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's somebody we want to follow. That's somebody who we want to say, teach us so I can apply it to my life. Look what else he says. He's the firstborn over all creation. What he means there is he's preeminent. He's over all of creation. He's positionally first above all things is what he's saying. Look what else he says. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and by the way, for him. Think about that. How big is your Jesus? Think about it for a second. How big is the Jesus that you follow? Paul's saying, listen, if you're going to apply what I have to teach you in your life, then you have to have a big view of who Jesus is. Is your Jesus the, Im- the image of the invisible God? Is he that big? Look what, look what else he writes. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Look at what he says here. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. How big is your Jesus? And quite frankly, if we're going to walk out this Christian life, we have to have a good grasp of who we're walking it out for. And is it worth it? And if this is the size of your Jesus, then it's absolutely 100% worth it. In fact, it's worth it all. And I would just tell you, if over time your, your view of who Jesus is has diminished, go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. Read that again, read it again, and read it again, and say, that's who I believe Jesus to be. And so then he says, let's get applicable Let's apply this to our lives. If Jesus is that big and he's calling me to follow after him, then I want to see what his word has to say to me. So if you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, know this. 
I'm going to give you four coaching tips today given by Coach Paul, the apostle that is, right? Four coaching tips. So if you're a note taker, you love when they tell you ahead of time, how many tips are there going to be? Four. Okay. Number one, right? So you'll always know where we're at. Coaching tip number one is this. You can't wear that old thing anymore. Coaching tip number one is you can't wear that old thing anymore. Look what he says in verse 8, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, and he gives this list, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his Deeds. Anyone just read that list and think, oh man, I might be in some trouble, right? Anybody? Anybody other than me, right? That you're like, oh, what happened? That's a, that's a hard list. I, I actually, I look at a couple of those things maybe that I, I wrestle with. Well, here's what he's saying. He says, you can't wear that old thing anymore. Now, some of you, I imagine mostly they're going to be guys, uh, have a shirt that maybe looks something like this, that it's just over time and it being worn and washed, it has gotten faded and it's gotten super thin, like you can see the light through it, you know? And yet you hold on to it because you love it, right? That there's this shirt that you're just like, when I get home from work, I just want to throw this shirt on because it's easy. I don't even care. I just want to be comfortable. And there's probably somebody in your life who has said, you know that shirt that you wear? You cannot wear that out, please, right? It's got the holes on the seams up here. It's got a couple holes where maybe you wore a belt and it's gotten holes down here. And you're like, listen, I love this shirt. And maybe, I'm just saying, maybe the shirt's disappeared for a season, right? And you finally, you know this one, and you found it and you're like, I'm wearing it again, right? That you just, you just love the shirt. And it's super comfortable and soft and worn. How many of you guys have a shirt that's at least 20 years old in your closet somewhere? Okay, all right. Yes, all right. So, hey, listen, he's saying, he's saying, listen, you can't wear that old thing anymore. You can't wear it. It's got the holes. It's got the seams breaking. You can't wear that anymore. That's who you used to be. But listen, he's calling. He says, actually, what he says here, look at verse 8 again. He says, put it off. Take it off. Stop wearing those, this, this person anymore, this old man, he calls him. Here's what Ephesians 4.20 says. Ephesians 4.20 says this, But you have, not, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And here's what he says, instead, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on a new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You can see the, the divide here. We talked a little bit last week that we used walked in darkness apart from God. And then he says, listen, when you put your, your faith in Jesus, you stepped into life and you took off that old man, or I'm careful with this, old woman, right? And you... You left it behind, and now you're walking in newness of life. Look what uh, Ephesians 2.2 says. And you, he made alive. Listen to that again. You, he made alive. Not to walk in those old ways anymore. He has made you alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sin. 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also, look at, Paul says, I was with you. If, there, if you're a believer here, and you, you, you would admit to this, you would say, I once walked that way too, each and every one of us. He says, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What's he saying there? He's saying, listen, you are no longer who you once were. You've got to take off that old shirt and you've got to get rid of it. That's not who you are anymore. And then he says, listen, let me give you some indicators of what that old man or old woman used to look like, right? Let let me tell you what you can identify when, when he comes back and he knocks on the door of your life again. He says, hello, hello, I'm back, right? Here's what you can look for. Anger. That's the old man. That's who you used to be. That's not who you are any longer. Now, occasionally, does does he knock back on the door again and say, I'm back. back." Yeah, he does. And and we're to tell him, listen, not here. Closed for business. You can't come in, right? He's knocking at the door. Look what else he says. This is another indicator. Wrath or, or rage. I think one of the things that maybe somebody would say here, and I could say this of my own life, that before I came to Jesus and was walking with him, anger and wrath were a part of my life. I would just get angry and and praise God, praise God that over time he has taken that away from me. Occasionally, still knocks, but I know who I am in Christ Jesus, right? That I'm not that person any longer. Malice, that's the evil thoughts the, the source of, of evil that comes out of our life, that, that idea of malice, evil thoughts. The next thing, the next three have to actually to do with the mouth. And James talks, we know this, James talks about how dangerous the mouth is. It, it can spark a fire and it can go raging amongst a, a family or a church, right, by what we say with our mouth. And he says, blasphemy. Now, we usually think of blasphemies against God, but it actually, I think in this context, he's saying this is speaking evil about other people, defaming other people, you know, behind closed doors talking about other people. He said, that's blasphemy. That's old man thinking. That's old ways of life. We don't do that anymore. Listen to what else he says. Filthy language. That, that actually I had a conversation with my son Jack this week. And, and, and I said to him, you know, the things that the boys say at school, you now have a reason not to say it. Colossians chapter 3 says that, that when you stepped into newness of life and you received Jesus, filthy language isn't supposed to be part of your life anymore. Now, now I know, listen, I get it. I get it. This is a hard one. Right? He said, but dad, all the kids at school say it, right? And you would say, but Jeff, all the guys at work say it. It's on the job site. It's in the, it's in the culture of my company. This is how they talk, right? And, 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 I, and I hear you. I totally hear you. But he's saying, listen, that's the old way. That's the old things. Now, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to speak that way anymore, filthy language. Listen to what else he says. Lying. Lying. Think about this for a second. Lying. He says, listen, when you were in your old style, you could tell fibs, you could lie. You do a little 
white lies or big lies or you could cheat. It, no one was governing you. If you could do it and you could get away with it, there were, you didn't believe in a God at the time and, and you could just do whatever you want to do. You were your own God. Get away with whatever you can get away with. But when you stepped into life and living for Jesus and you took off that old shirt and you said, listen, I'm now a follower of Christ. Now what I do matters how I live. And so those little white lies are even the big lies, right? It matters. And here's why. Lying, by the way, if we think about who Satan is, the enemy, what's one of his titles? He is what? The father of lies, right? He is the father of lies. The Bible calls him that. Whereas in Christ, we have truth, and righteousness, and being set apart, and holiness, and speaking truth in love, right? So when I lie, I'm actually misrepresenting the one that I love. That, that when I lie to my wife, or to my co-workers, or to anyone, like I'm misrepresenting the God of truth. And instead, I'm representing who I used to be. When I was with the Bible said a child of wrath, I was walking against God and the things of God. And it didn't really matter to me. I can say what I want to say. But now, listen, I'm representing someone new as I step in to life. It's a big deal. In fact, look at what uh, Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says. Luke chapter 6 verse 45. Here it says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth good. In other words, this, the core of who you are has now changed and what's coming out of you is representative of things that are good, things that are of the Lord. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth what? Evil, right? The core has not changed. It's still back who it used to be. Listen to what it says. For out of the abundance of the heart, what? His mouth speaks. The mouth is an indicator. It's not everything. Right? It's not everything, right? Because someone could be transformed in Christ and still be wrestling with potty mouth, right? Or filthy mouth. I don't know. Sounds like a little potty mouth, right? No. With, with filthy language. We would say to our kids, potty mouth. Right? He could still be wrestling with her. She could still be wrestling with it. But her core has changed. But over time, what should happen? There should be a transformative work in that person. There's a transforming that is going on. So you might say, Jeff, I wish it was that easy. This thing has gotten me in so much trouble, right? You would say that. I've gotten so much trouble with my wife, with the things that I say, or the things at work, or, I've, you know, the mouth is such a dangerous thing. And, and Jeff, I wish it was as easy as just taking this shirt and just throwing it away. Like just, I wish it was that easy, because I'd much rather throw away the shirt. It's a lot easier than having to transform my entire Life. So here's what I would say. You don't do it alone. God's at work with you. But here's what I think is important. Three things. One is identify. Identify, don't justify. Identify, don't justify. In other words, say to yourself, listen, that language, that mouth, that lying, that blasphemy, whatever it is, that's who I used to be. I'm identifying myself as a new person in Christ. I'm not going to justify those anything anymore. I'm no longer going to say, well, that's how my dad always talked, or that's the family that I grew up in, my origin, family of origin, or that's how the guys on the work site do it. And this is a, now I'm justifying and saying, I'm going to say instead, no, 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 it stops. I'm going to identify it. Jack, you need to identify it, right? You need to be able to say, that's not how Jesus would have me talk. 
And I'm a new creation in him, so I'm identifying. Second thing I'm doing is I'm confessing and I'm seeking forgiveness. I'm seeking forgiveness from those maybe that I've spoken evil about, those these that have said something negative about, or I've hurt them with my words. I'm going to the Lord, and I'm asking him for forgiveness. Lord, would you forgive me? I'm no longer justifying, I'm identifying, and now I'm seeking forgiveness, and I'm confessing it to you, Lord. Would you forgive me? And the third thing, and I think this is so important, this is so important, catch this. Third is, I look to the future. I actually look to the time where that's no longer a part of my life anymore. Yeah, I messed up this, this week on Thursday or Friday or whatever day it is, but, but I'm moving forward. That, that those times are minimized, being minimized little by little by little as I'm growing in the things of the Lord. As I'm centering my life upon him, as I'm focused on the things above and not on the things of the earth like we t- talked about last week. I'm actually growing in, in my walk with Jesus because I'm identifying and I am confessing and seeking forgiveness. I'm looking forward to the future where those are no longer part of my story any longer. Amen? Amen. And I believe you can do that in the power of the Lord by the movement of his spirit. You will grow and grow and grow in him. All right, here we are. Now, listen, you don't just take off the old shirt. Here's the great news. Uh, you get to put on something new, right? That you're not just taking off the old shirt because now you're wondering, well, what do I wear, right? I just got rid of the old shirt. What do I put on? Look what he says here. He says, since you have put off the old man with its deeds, look at verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's worth reading again. And coaching tip number two, it says this, you have, you have put on change. You, you have put on change. He says, verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. What's he saying? He's actually saying you are putting on Jesus that you actually took off that old shirt with the holes and it's all raggedy and, and it may have been comfortable, but you took it off because you said, I'm not living in that old shirt anymore, that old man. And instead, actually, I'm putting on Christ. I'm, I'm putting on Jesus. And so when people see me, they don't see the old shirt anymore. They're, they're seeing Jesus in increasing measure more and more. The word there that he says is renewed. It's renewed. It's, it's actually in the present tense, present passive tense, which means this, present meaning it's ongoing. Oh, thank the Lord, right? That actually I'm growing, ongoing, ongoing, ongoing more and more prayerfully in increasing measurements that I'm not judged just by who I used to be. God's not done with me yet. He keeps me in life and he keeps growing me and maturing me and strengthening me in him. That's the present part. The passive part is he's doing the work on me. Take that in for a second. He's actually doing the work on me. Like the artist who's sculpting the clay, who's chiseling away at different parts and molding and shaping over time to create the image. And here's the image he's creating. You know who he's creating? His image in you that you're starting to grow to look more and more like him over time as you have put on Christ and now wear Christ. Here's what Romans says. 
Romans 12.1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God. Can we just say thank you, Lord, for your mercy? Because I know what I used to look like. I know who I used to be. And yet out of that, you called me to life and forgiveness and to be set free. And you called me to be part of your family. So Lord, thank you for your mercies. That you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to what? The world. Don't be conformed to it. But instead, look what he says. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.16. But whatever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, they see Jesus for who he really is. And I I look around this room and I know there are people here who that veil has fallen away and you've seen Jesus, Colossians 1.15, for being the image of the invisible God. Right? You've seen Jesus for who he really is. And here's what he says, that veil is now taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the glories, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Listen, this is where the Lord is taking you as you've put on Christ. You've put him on. He's growing you more and more into his likeness. So that those things that once defined you are no longer to define you. Yes, absolutely. They come and they say, I want to define you again, anger. I want to define you again, filthy language. I want to come back into your life. You say, no, 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 that's not who I am. I've put on Christ, right? I'm identified as being one with Christ. So so you can go away, and by the way, I'm identifying it, I'm confessing it, and I'm looking towards the time when I look even more like Christ. You're being renewed. It's a powerful thought. Now, what does that mean for us as a church? That, That means that when you showed up here this morning... There were a bunch of people who came through those doors who used to have these old ratty t-shirts that they were defined by and defined them, language and and lying. And and now they've said, no, no more, not for me. I'm I'm putting on Christ. And, And now what's happening with all of us that are attending and coming together is we are trying to be more like him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word, we are growing more into his likeness. And if you collect a bunch of those people together, you know what that's called? That's called the church, right? And in all of its imperfections and all the way those old ways come back into our lives, we're all kind of messed up in some ways. But here's the one unifying factor that we're all coming together as one family saying, I want to be more like Jesus. Look what he says here in coaching tip number three is you have a new family. You have a new family when you come to this place. You put your faith in Christ and you're walking with him. There's a bunch of people who are in the same boat. We're all saying the same thing. I want to be more like Christ. And that's what he says here in verse 11. Take a look at verse 11. He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Look what he says here. He says there are a bunch of barriers. There are a bunch of differences within the church. 
different viewpoints, different ways of doing things, different thoughts of how we should do this and what we should do here. He says, actually, here's the one unifying factor, right? It's Jesus as your identity in this new family. Look at some of these barriers that are actually fairly significant. He says, there's neither Greek nor Jew. Greek would have been like the the cultural experts, the elite, right? They're the Greeks. And the the Jews would have been the religious leaders. We're God's chosen people, right? We're the ones that truly follow after God. And he's saying between that divide that once existed, that barrier is broken in Jesus. There's no longer that barrier any longer. In fact, you can all go to the same church, both Greek and Jew, because the barrier has been broken down. Look what else he says. Circumcised or uncircumcised, Jews would have said, if you're not circumcised, Do you even know the Lord, right? Are you even following? Do you even care? Like he would have said all those things. And he's saying, listen, under Jesus, you could be uncircumcised and be a worshiper of God. You could be circumcised and be a worshiper of God. That wall has been broken down. Barbarian nor Scythian. Barbarians were non-Greek speaking people viewed as lower class. You don't even know Greek. I mean, come on. What are you doing? right? Viewed as low class. And the Scythian would be even lower class, right? Lower of the lows. And he's saying, yes, you can come and be a part of the body of Christ. You can be part of the family of God. You can be held in the same esteem as anyone else who joins the family of God. Look what he says next, slave nor free that you could be a slave and come into the church and be a part of the family of God just as much as the one who had rights. Slaves in that day did not have rights. They had, the, the freemen had rights. And he's saying, listen, you can come here and be a part of the family of God. You are just as valuable to the living God as anyone who has rights. Do you see what he's done here? He said, listen, I recognize you're all different You have all different sizes and shapes and economic statuses. And and some of you are viewed high in the culture. Some of you are very low. But in Christ, all those barriers are broken down. Look at verse 11 again, very end. He says, but Christ is what? All and in all. That means when you walked in and you put on Christ, then when you walk in these doors, you are one with everyone else connected with anyone else but he has more money and she has less money and he has more this and you don't know what he stands for and you know what he's like no no no, listen stop those walls have been broken down in christ and so when you walk in the thing that the people see that should see and the lord sees is that christ is all and in all i think this was a great image i saw this week of this hand and, and it's reaching out and diving into this, this uh, bowl of marbles that are all different shapes and sizes and colors and all have different characteristics. And yet this hand just reaching down and saying, listen, you're all one. You're all part of this same family. All the walls and dividing things have been broken down in the name of Jesus. Then he says, listen, in this family, while you have all these differences and, and, and you're all from different backgrounds and some of your families were great and some of them weren't great, but in this family, when you come to this place, there's a certain culture that I want you to know. Coaching tip number four, coaching tip number four, which by the way, huh, you know what I'm saying. No takers, you know what I'm saying. We hit number four. 
you said there was four, and now we're on number four. So I don't know what that means, but it's pretty exciting, right? <laughs> this is new family culture that you got to know when you step into the family of God, this new family that he's called you a part of. Let's take it through from the beginning. I took off this old shirt, this old way of life, and I put on Jesus, and now he is inside of me. And he's shaping me and molding me into the person that he's called me to be. His image, by the way. And I've joined this new family of people who are headed in that same direction on the same journey. And now he says, when you join this new family, there's a certain culture you got to know about. You know, when you went to work that first day, you started to pick up on who the, who the people are there. And what kind of culture was in that work environment. You remember that. Oh my gosh, this is a culture that enjoys speaking about each other behind their backs, right? That's the kind of culture I joined, right? Or maybe it was a good culture, and you're like, actually, they really care about each other. This is, this is a great work culture to be a part of. All families have a certain culture, a way of doing things. And so Paul says, I want you to join this new family, and here's what this new family's culture is. So if you would, take a look at verse 12. There is, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so, uh, forgave you, so you also must do. In other words, here's the culture. But before we jump into the culture, I want you to see this. Go back to my marbles again. I want you to do something with me. Imagine the marbles represent people. Hopefully that's not too far of a stretch, right? The marbles represent people. And take your hands like this and scoop up all these people that are sitting around you. Just do that with me for a second. Calisthenics, right? picking them up, and you're scooping all these people. The people sitting next to you are part of this group that you've collected together in your hands. And they look different than you, and they have a different family background than you. And, the, and we have all these differences within the church, which is so beautiful. Young and older, not old, older, young and older, right? We've got these kids over here, and they're part of the family of God, and he's scooping these people up. And Paul's looking over these people that have been scooped up in God's hands, and he declares this over them. He gives them this identity, these three words. He says over them, listen, you are elect of God. You are, you are chosen by God to be used by God. He wooed you and called you, and maybe he's doing that to you this morning, calling you to himself. He says, you are a chosen of God. Now, now, I don't know what your theological background or thinking when you hear that word elect, but just know this, you're special to him, right? Anointed by him, called by him, which should give you then confidence in who you are in Christ should discern for you if I'm called by God, then this old person who I used to be should not be who I am any longer. And, and actually, I should walk in the newness of life that he's given me. I am elect, called by God. What other word does he say? He says, you're holy. I've set you apart. There was a time when you walked in darkness, but you came to know Jesus and the truth of the resurrection. And now I've set you apart. You're no longer who you used to be. I'm going to use you for my good purposes. I'm going to call you into relationship with me. 
I'm going to come and dwell with you. I've set you apart. And the third thing he says, what does he say there? He says, beloved, beloved, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. So as you scoop all those people up, and he declares this over him, you're elect, chosen. You're set apart. You're loved by God. Now think about this. You probably thought that and thought, oh, that feels so good. That's who I am. But that's who the person sitting next to you is as well in this new family. And the person sitting behind you. And the person who cuts you off in the parking lot, right? If they're a believer even, right? (laughs) They're probably not, right? (laughs) Them too. And the people who you don't agree with politically and the people who are called by Jesus, listen, called by Jesus to grow into his image. He says, I've called them. I've set them apart. I love them, Jeff. So in this new family, how you treat them matters. There's a certain culture in this new family, regardless of your differences, because there are a lot of differences. But now, how do you treat each other? And here's the culture that he says. Let me give you that culture. He says, in this place, in this place, there will be tender mercies. We will be merciful with each other. We will extend mercy towards each other. He says, there's going to be kindness. Within this new family and this culture, there's going to be kindness in the way you address and talk to each other, the way you speak well of each other when you're not together. There's going to be kindness, generally loving each other kindness. There's going to be humility. That's a hard one, right? Because I'm right and you're wrong and, and that's how it is, right? I mean, humility is a hard thing, but listen, As hard as it is, if I had to pick one word to describe Jesus, and I guess theologically there's a thousand words and they're all 100% true, but the one I would say that sticks out to me the most is this idea of humility, that I treat other people better than myself. That when I come into contact with someone, immediately it's not Jeff is more important, or I try to elevate myself with words or positioning or power. Instead, when I come into a situation, actually I diminish and I elevate that other person up. This is a word that was foreign in the first century. It's actually a biblical word. This idea that Jesus brings about and Paul writes about is that when, I, when he saw Jesus ministering, what you saw is humility. Going to people who didn't, quote unquote, by the culture standards, deserve love, deserve attention, deserve to be healed, deserve to have even demons cast out of them. Yet Jesus goes to all those places and demonstrates humility, who being God came down to earth to minister to you and to me. And so when you walk into a church, this is paramount. That, that you find within that church, one of the things that they value and that they live out and they apply is this area of humility, not elevation and not power. I think it's huge. Meekness, the other word for that would be gentleness in the way that we talk with each other and address each other. It's not weakness, right? It's a position of power, but we extend gentleness towards each other. Long suffering. That's a hard one. Is it not that that we are actually going to be long-suffering with each other? You know, the the best picture of this, I think, is my wife, uh, who, when there is a disagreement, yeah, you, uh, when there's a disagreement 
And we go back and forth just like every other couple does. There are times when she will just stop arguing and say, well, I'll just, I'll just be praying for you. <laughs> I'll just be praying for you. Yes. And she means it like this. I have tried to change you. I'm not going to do it any longer. I'm going to put that on the Lord's plate. And I'm going to continue to honor you as my husband as things go on. But I'm praying, I'm praying that the Lord will change your heart in this area in your mind. That's long suffering and that's patience. And he actually says within the church context that we should have this for one another. That actually, Jeff, I don't agree with you on this, but I love you. And I recognize that you're called by God to teach and preach, but I I don't know if I can agree with you on this. And I'd love to have a conversation and we can go back and forth. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. I'm going to be long suffering with you. I'm going to be patient with you. And I'm going to pray for you. And and I want to see over time, I want to see God do the change inside of you. That, that it's actually, that's what we do as this new family. It's one of the, 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 the cultural influences that this family has with each other is that we are long suffering with each other. That I don't just get mad at the situation and then depart. Actually, I stay in the game because this is a family. And Christ, by the way, is all and in all. He's the identifying mark of two believers, even if they disagree on something. And his attitude is, let's be long-suffering with each other. Let's be patient with each other. Let's pray for each other and say, Lord, what are you going to do? Well, I can't wait to see what you do in this. Look at the last one. He says, bearing with each other. In other words, he's actually saying forgiving. Well, to what level? I mean, come on, let's not get crazy with his idea of forgiveness. He brings up the fact that Jesus forgave us at a high level. While we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. While we were still working against him, Christ died for us. And so he says, listen, be people who are forgiving in this culture. Look at these values again. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, forgiving. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Right? That when when we signed up to to be a part of a church and and we put on Jesus and we stepped through those doors and we said, listen, this is what my expectations are, that when I show up, there are going to be people who look, by the way, a lot like Jesus. And they may not be perfect. I'm certainly not. And every once in a while, there's something that comes out of me (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus, but I'm identified primarily as one who's set free and actually, actually am being shaped into his image little by little, more and more. And if you look up there, and I would just tell you, these are the characteristics of our God. That, that, that I don't know what you're, you're growing up, what God looked like to you, angry, vengeance, hard, distant, but, but that's not the God that we're reading about in Scripture. In fact, look up there again. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving. These are, the, these are the very characteristics of our God, who, by the way, came in the form of Jesus, right? The image of Jesus to walk amongst us. And you, I think, would assign Jesus these qualities from what you know about Jesus, but our Heavenly Father is that has those same qualities, unity. There's nothing disunified in the unity and the triunity of, the God, of our God. They share the same characteristics, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And so, listen, identify, listen, I'm moving closer to being the image of the one that I love and the one that I created me little by little, more and more, all the time. Now, practice is over. You have your four tips. And you're, this is sneaky, I know, but he's walking out the door. Thanks, coach, for the tips. I'm going to go apply them to my life, right? I'm going to, life application. I'm not going to keep what I learned this morning up in my head. And then as you're walking out the door, Paul says, wait a minute, one more thing. It was Paul. It wasn't me. He said one more thing. He says, listen, look at verse 14. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Take all those things that we just talked about, all those, those qualities, humility and gentleness and long-suffering, and, and put them in a big tortilla like you're making a burrito, right? And these are the ingredients, and you're putting them in this burrito. And then he says, now roll that burrito up, right? The tortilla is love. It encapsulates all those ingredients in your burrito that you will be eating in just moments for lunch, right? He says, listen, take all that, wrap it up in love. So when people see you, and by the way, that's agape love. That's God's love, right? As people see you, they will see your meekness and your gentleness and your long suffering. They will see your humility. And it all comes from the same source, which is love that you have for one another. And and don't you know that in fact, in scripture, that's how we are to be known, right? John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. How? How will they know? What? If you have love for one another. This is an identifying mark and a value. Wrap all those up, hold them together in your love. And then he says, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. The idea there of rule is just umpire. Like you've been watching, if you've been watching any of the World Series, they have umpires. And umpires make these decisions, right? These close decisions. He's out. He's safe. That's a ball. That's a strike. He says, let peace be an umpire in your life. Does this make for peace with my brother or sister in the Lord? Let it be a deciding factor. Let the peace of God be a deciding factor in your life. Does this make for peace. In fact, take a look what this scripture says. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness, you're going to sound similar, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, right? Wrapped it up in the burrito, right? He's got the love burrito here, right? Look what he says, endeavoring, working to, diligently working to, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of what? Peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts as you talk with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Look what he says, verse 16. Let the word of Christ, we got the peace of God, we've got the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In other words, make room for the word of Christ in your life. Here's why. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of God marinate inside of you. Spend time with it. Read it. You know, the the reason why I was able to go to Jack this week and say, hey, you know what? Those boys at school, as they say these things, you don't have to say those things. 
Because I was studying Colossians this week, chapter 3. And it says, don't have filthy mouth or filthy language. There's your reason right there. It was dwelling in me and I could just bring it out like that because I could speak it to him. He says, look at use that dwelling with the word of God to teach and to admonish each other. Is it dwelling in you? Is it marinating inside of you? And then he says, closing verse 17, and whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed or your mouth, the things that you speak or, or your actions do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. He says, as you walk about, do all things in the name of Jesus. Everything, every part of my life, do it in the name of Jesus. Here's a good way to think about it. Before I do something or before I say something, would Jesus sign off on it? Would he say, listen, Jeff, remember how you took off the old shirt, the old man, and you put on me and now I'm in you, dwelling with you, and you've joined this new family and you're growing and I'm shaping you into my image? Would this action be something that I would sign off on? Does it cause you to look more like me or less like me? Paul says you are and I are an ambassador of Christ now that we've put on Christ. So the question is, if I'm doing everything in the name of Jesus, would he sign off on it? And if he says, Jeff, I would not sign off on that, you know, then we say, okay, I'm stepping away from it. I'm not that person any longer. I'm going to walk in the newness of life. My prayer for you this week is that you would not just put this, hide this in your head and in your heart. I think that's a good place to hide God's word, but actually that you would bring it out and you'd exercise some of these things. Like my basketball coach said, three times a week, I want you to get out there and grab a basketball and work on these drills. I'm saying, hey, how about daily? We, we take out the word of God, we apply it to our lives, and we live out of these applications that he's giving us. Next week, we talk about families and how we apply this into our families, husbands and wives, families, working life. How do we apply these applications into our lives next week? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to remind us of who we are in you. I love that picture of, of us taking off that old man. And we're no longer identified as that old man any longer. And say so we, are, we are new men created in Christ. And I love this too, Lord, that each one of us is not perfect by any means in the sense that we are completely free of falling short of your glory. But, 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 you are shaping us more and more all the time into yourself, into your image. Lord, may be people who are so diligently set out to look more like you. And Lord, I believe when those people come together, like we have this morning, when those people come together, there's just something different. There's something powerful when men and women of God gather together, desiring to, to love you and live for you and seek you out. So Lord, would you strengthen us in that this morning. Give us that big vision of what the church looks like this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495.